Hello, hello, and welcome to the Dear Citrus Diaries podcast. I am Lauren, your host and the human behind the Citrus Diaries community. The Dear Citrus Diaries podcast is an off branch of the Citrus Diaries community that was built over on Instagram and TikTok, as well as the website and so many more fun things to come in that realm. But the Citrus Diaries community is full of people looking to make sustainable changes in their life when it comes to health and wellness and food. And this community is a place to build those connections with people who are going through the same thing and looking for some support along the way. So I am so excited that you are here and that you are joining us. And in this podcast, we'll be talking about just the ins and outs of wellness, what that really looks like in a day-to-day life and being transparent with what the healing process looks like because as we know, healing is not linear and there's always gonna be some bumps along the way. So we are here to discuss the good, the bad, the in-between and just all of that. Through this podcast, you will hear my personal stories and the stories of people that I interview, as well as trend reports with the wellness industry and just kind of breaking down some things that are happening in the world of wellness and food. Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to the Citrus Diaries community and to the Dear Citrus Diaries podcast. Now let's get on with today's episode. Okay, well, hello. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I would love for you to introduce yourself and what you do. Hi, I'm uh, Avi Greenstein. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I am the president of uh, Method Sourcing and Bamboozle Home. Uh, And we make sustainable products that we hope people want. That's amazing. So what all do you sell? What all do you do? I know there's We've talked before and there's a difference between what you do at Method Sourcing versus Bamboozle Home. So I'd just love for you to talk about that some and your mission and vision there. Sure. And the overall, we make uh, sustainable materials and translate them into uh, beautiful, usable homewares. Uh, In the Method Sourcing side, uh, it's more of trying to use those materials with other brands uh, and retailers. And on the bamboozle side, it's us taking those materials and kind of showing the world and showing everybody, uh, all the customers, that we are, um, that this is ready for prime time and everybody should be able to engage with it. That's amazing. So how did all of this start? What's the story behind it all? How did you kind of get into both sides of this? Yeah, so um, the story is a really long one, but I'll try and kind of keep keep it to a reasonable length. Basically, um, as a sourcing company, Method Sourcing, um, we kind of work with retails, retailers and um, factories, bring them together, trying to make things happen. And a lot of times the factories have some issue that we try to help them resolve in a way that would be beneficial to the retail and the customer, uh, the final customer, like the everyday person. And one of those problems was uh, they were having these machines that were going out of style, basically. They weren't using these machines anymore, uh, but there was ways to improve what they could be made on those machines. And that's kind of how we started the process of making a more responsible material. Over time, uh, we kind of brought that material to market and continued evolving the material. And that's where we got how we get to what we have now. So um, we started off with kind of something that was a lot of melamine, a little bit of bamboo and over time, we kind of kept on eliminating plastic from the mix. More and more plastic gets eliminated while making sure that the product feels great, looks great, can, you know, take design language that we wanted to take, uh, is still usable, dishwasher safe, 
Um, and eventually we got to the point where we were ready for prime time and we started showing it off and had a great response to it. That's so cool. So now currently what products does Bamboozle sell and you know, who do you kind of work with in that space? Yeah. So we currently are, our most popular products are our seven piece mixing bowls and our compost bin, uh, but we make a lot of other products, uh, like our tabletop line. Um, our kids line, Tiny Footprints. Uh, and in terms of who we work with in general, uh, we've made a line for William Sonoma, uh, Nork, and then there is a line that just got released by year and day of Tabletop that uh, uses our technology as well. Uh, and we are happy to work with more and more people as time goes on. Um, and really our commitment is to balance sustainability and lifestyle, which are two things that a lot of times are in conflict with each other. You know, we want an easy, beautiful life. And sometimes that requires a lot of polluting to do. Uh, and we're trying to see how much we can keep that desirable factor up uh, while still, you know, paying service to the world that we live in. Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, so I would, you know, we were talking about the environmental impact, the products produced, all of that, and would just love for you to go in depth more about what the environmental impact of the company is and like how your work plays, how that plays a role in your work. Cause I'm sure producing any sort of product, there's always going to be some sort of environmental impact. And how do you balance the inevitable with trying to do your best to be as eco-friendly as possible? Yeah. So you're completely correct. There is always an environmental impact. Anytime you expend any energy, use any kind of materials, there's always going to be some, some impact. The question is how how much can we uh, reduce that impact, and how how much can we while reducing that impact keep the item desirable? Because you can reduce impact a lot, uh, but if the item is not desirable or is not usable, then people put it in their houses and then don't use it, and then it actually had a very high environmental impact because there's no utility. It's very important right. to balance that utility. If you're not using it, it's not worth making, essentially. Uh, which is the issue with a lot of like very finicky, difficult to use things, uh, some like very high, high end woods, even if they come from a sustainable source, if you're never touching it, you're never using it because it just remains beautiful when you don't touch it, then it's not, it doesn't have any, any, uh, value to your life. So what we do is we try to, uh, see the earth as a stakeholder. So that is to say, you know, whenever you design a product, you're thinking about the stakeholders, whether it's the manufacturers, the customers, how much money it's going to make, how much it costs. If you include the environment as a stakeholder, you start to ask the question all the, all the time is you now have this new requirement and the requirement is to be as good to it as possible. And if you think about that requirement, you start engineering ways for that requirement to be met, whether it's in the actual manufacturing of the product, where the product comes from, the transport costs, whether it's in dollars or carbon emissions, uh, which are usually kind of linked to each other, um, whether it's how the product dies. A lot of people talk about the birth of a product when they talk about sustainability, but it's very rare to talk about the death of a product. We don't like talking about the death of a product. It's I'd be a bad salesman if I constantly talked about the death of the product. Right, right. But yeah and and the but we have to think about that whether it is because through the biodegradability aspect of the product or through how we replace things for example that's a big part of like our bamboozle ethos 
uh, is that what will happen is, is that if somebody comes to us and says, hey, one of my seven piece bowls broke, I would rather just replace that product for them for free, basically, that, that one bowl for free, uh, than ha them having to go and either buy the, a new bowl or buy a whole new bowl set with us or somewhere else. That way we can keep all these very usable items from going into the landfill and just this just replace this one that broke today. Those kinds of changes um, are, I feel, what pushes us forward in terms of sustainability. And I don't think what we're doing is, uh, especially in the, this process, is something that is should be unique to us. It unfortunately is a little unique to us, but it shouldn't be. Right. So then that's a big thing that you do with method sourcing is then getting those materials and those items and everything out to other brands, correct? That's correct. Yeah. And we, we absolutely love doing it. It sounds maybe counterintuitive. You think people want to keep everything proprietary, right. but we don't know everything. Uh, we don't have every customer in the world. People have their own customers with their own uh, design, design aesthetics uh, and they know what they want. So we hope to be able to apply our technology to their aesthetics and their customer. Uh, and then they throw curveballs at us constantly, really crazy design requirements that we've never thought of before. And then when we kind of pass that requirement, when we have re-engineered the product or changed something, tweaked something, then the product is every product that we make is better for it because we've, you know, essentially user tested it for a user that we never thought we would have in the first place. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to see how far this material that originally was supposed to be very, very specific uh, has been able to stretch. That's so interesting. So it seems like community is a big factor in business for yourself and for all these other brands that you work with. And I think on a larger scale, community is a big aspect in the sustainability eco-friendly movement as a whole. So how do you feel that that word is kind of shown within you know, your business and within what you do? Uh, we're not big, uh, but we uh, try to cast a big shadow because we engage with so many different people. And that's really what it comes down to. Uh, of course, there's the community of people who purchase and use the products, um, and we try and engage with them as best as we can and, and try to do good by them. Uh, there's also the community of manufacturers and other brands that together can make something much greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, one of the big, you know, big complaints that I hear is that um, businesses aren't doing enough, and it's somewhat true. Um, you know, the business's impact on sustainability can be much larger than every individual impact. They can make one decision that can eliminate a lot of carbon, for example, going into the atmosphere. Uh, but at the same time, uh, businesses are trend obsessed. Uh, if they don't follow the trend, they fall behind and they're no longer relevant. And really we, as in the larger community of consumers, are the ones who are uh, deciding which trend works and doesn't. And it's about having that conversation. And whether that conversation is with a consumer or with another brand, it always works for the best when that conversation is being writ large absolutely everywhere. That way it convinces everyone from the smallest to the largest player in the field to engage in it. And I think we see that in, every, in a lot of other markets too. Like the car market has changed so significantly because of a conversation that was started, you know, 15, 20 years ago around electric cars. And we're hoping to kind of make that same um, 
make that same impact in the conversation in housewares and plastics in general. So how do you feel about the statement that I feel like you hear a lot of times in the sustainability world that no matter how sustainable individuals are, it comes down to corporations' willingness to change? Obviously, you touched on this a little bit, but how do you feel like as an individual and both as somebody that works for a company in the sustainability Yeah, it's true and it's not true at the same time. It's like every good slogan. It has like a lot of truth in it, but it's it reduces the problem a little bit too much. Uh, as I said, making something trendy or buying in like voting with your dollar, I guess is the way to put it is an extremely important thing to do. Um, It does decide the, you know, we all feel like we have a very small vote, but it does change the course of, of major, major events and, you know, big players that can make a huge difference on the carbon budget of the planet have to listen. Uh, when a massive amount of people change. And it doesn't actually have to be a massive amount of people. It just has to seem like so many people are doing it, that it's being talked about constantly. So you have to do something about it. Um, So I would say, yeah, that's true on the breast taxes. Yes, it's true that companies can make a bigger impact than people. But companies do either tend to listen to people or if they're not listening to people on the best case scenario, they're trying to innovate. And then it's up to the people to vote for the companies who are trying to innovate in a way that fits with your values, um, <clears throat> helping them grow, which shifts the conversation at the bigger at the bigger companies to say, well, we have to make a step change here. We have to engage with a different, uh, either a different material, a different methodology of doing business in order to stay relevant. And that's um, kind of, the best way we can as, as average consumers, of course, you know, not leaving the lights on and all that kind of that kind of stuff is important. Uh, but the amount of energy that goes into making the products that you have, making the food that you eat, transporting you from place to place, those are things. Those are kind of, those are so large those requirements that it re- a one percent change at you know at a large corporation can make a massive difference to every one of us. So what would you say to the people that are like, you know, I'm putting all this effort in, I'm trying to be as sustainable as possible. I'm voting with my dollar, but I'm not seeing any change from, you know, the companies that I purchase from or just on a larger scale. I'm not seeing that change in the environment, in the world in general. I think because I'm in it, I have to say, look deeper. Right. Uh, There's a lot of positive news. A lot of people that are really pushing the envelope. It takes longer uh, than you could uh, possibly imagine to get something done. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, even talking about something as simple as, okay, we want to make a different product. You know, we say, let's make a different product. I'm not even talking about new materials. Just, just I want to make a new bowl. Uh, right. That's six to nine months away. And that's the final step of the process. Um, to make a new material, to use the cutting edge technologies that are coming out and then translating them into a material and then translating them into something that's useful for people, that can take years. Um, And it's an unfortunate reality, but if you look kind of farther down the line, you will see that things are improving very quickly. Uh, And that's mainly because there's people that are a whole generation that's extremely engaged with this subject and they go to school Four things that are engaged in the subject and then they leave and they start companies or they work for companies uh, that share their values and they push things now it's going to take time until they push things i mean 
I can count 10 things that I can see that's coming, that are coming down the line. Which one of them are going to be successful and which one of them aren't, I don't know. There are 10 things that are coming down the line that are so amazingly revolutionary. But I also know because I'm in the industry that it's going to take a very long time until it ends up in your hands. Um, In terms of those people who do a lot, I mean, thank you. That's the whole point of everything. Like it's, that's the only way to relieve uh, that climate anxiety that we're all feeling uh, is to do something. I mean, that's, I'm the type of person who has to do something. That's not for everybody I know, but that's me. Um, If you don't feel like you're making enough of an impact yourself, um, understand that there's a lot of people who are working really hard to do that as well. And when you do see how you can help them, whether it's by engaging in the final product that they make or posting about them or, you know, lifting them, uplifting them in any way you can. Uh, that's, that's what you should do. You should be supportive of those who maybe have the skills that you don't have to move it forward. Um, and I'm talking about like very far down the line, like scientists, um, people who are really pushing the envelope on materials or on sustainable energy. That's the kind of stuff that you have to uh, constantly be talking about. So it seems like compassion is a big thing, like kind of an overall theme that you're touching on a little bit of individuals need to have a little more compassion for the overall process of developing these products of corporations and, you know, brands of any size becoming more sustainable. Would you agree with that? It's hard to talk about compassion towards a corporation, (laughs) Uh, but um, I think that I think in general, being compassionate, being understanding is, is a good way to go about life. Um, it's probably would make you a lot happier of a person in general, if that's how you operate. It's important to understand that in the end of the day, like there's a ton of people who are doing, trying to do right by the world. And you don't have to necessarily support the corporations they work for or buy the products that they, that they make, but you have to understand that everything is part of a much larger process. Um, I say this a lot when I talk about our material, like I'm trying to be very honest and open because greenwashing is a huge problem. Right. Um, and my, pro- my product is not a silver bullet. In fact, there isn't one yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point of our product, the point of Bamboozle is to reach that silver bullet, is to iterate and evolve and continue to figure out like, how is it that we're going to balance um, our sustainable future and our consumption, which you know humans are, that's what we do. We consume, right. that's part of who we are. Um, and how do we make that sustainable? And that's not something that you can 100% do today. And losing faith because you can't 100% something right at this very moment is uh, counterproductive. It's, it's, and it pushes that anxiety level way high. Right. So can you walk me through a little bit of like what your research and development process looks sure. like? Like, how do you come up with these new materials? How do you come up with these new products? Um, we are... Um, for lack of a better word, scavengers, uh, we we look around a lot. We spend a lot of time listening and we listen on both directions. We listen to um, the manufacturers and what's coming down the pipeline there. Uh, and we listen to uh, the, the consumer and see what their issues are. Um, as we kind of develop and release product, so... The process starts kind of with the consumer, uh, sorry, with the, with the manufacturer um, coming up with an idea, 
we kind of push them towards something. We know there's a trend towards this or that, and we start to push them towards that idea. Um, and they get what we want, and then they release something, and then it releases to us. Uh, we go ahead and show it to the customers, whether it's a retailer, a brand, or you know the average person. And then we see the response, and we iterate. We we go back and say, okay. This is working, this is not working. And we just keep on doing this again and again and again. Occasionally, something comes out, comes out from left field, like new technology, new science, something like that. And then we start the process of seeing, can this be integrated into what we currently do? Is this new material something that we can me mess around with, play with, try it in current product, see how it works? And it's a very iterative process. Um, we live in an era, I think, that we're blessed with the technologies that we have, as in like the internet, social media, etc., that you don't have to do focus testing like in the past. We have a, like every, we're focus testing on every, everything is a focus test at this point. Um, and you can make your failures somewhat public because the barrier to entry to entering at least some small amount of the public consciousness is really, really low. It's like we don't have to go and have a Super Bowl ad to right. see if we failed in, in our product design. Very simple example. We have a bunch of new colors that we want to enter, add for our composters. We go out there, we show the composter, these colors to people. And they, we would say vote. But in reality, what we did was we put it out there, the samples. We had a whole bunch of samples of different colors. We get, did them as giveaways, and we saw how many people wanted each of the giveaways. And immediately, like you know, that if everybody's clamoring to get the green one, we should probably make the green one. Right. Um, right. And that's how we made the the green one, which was just released. Interesting. The forest colorway. And there's clever ways to focus test everything that you do, um, and occasionally it requires you know um, some investment that may not work out. There's plenty of those that happen all the time. Uh, but you, you, you listen, that's pretty much it. You just listen to what everybody's telling you and you try to process it, analyze it and make a decision how to move forward. So what are some changes that you'd like to see in the business manufacturing sector when it comes to sustainability? I think that, uh, it comes down to the two things that we do, uh, which is a treat the planet as a stakeholder, um, you know, uh, in the very uh, jargony business world, there's this idea of uh, externalities, things that you, uncosted externalities, things that you may be doing that you don't get charged for, but you are hurting, which is the environment. Uh, you have to consider that when you're doing what you're doing um, and ask, how is this going to affect the planet? And how is me making a change about this to help the planet going to affect the customer? And then the other thing is, is that you have to start thinking about the death of a product. And a lot of companies are doing this. Right. Um, I think they don't talk about it enough. Uh, and I think that's why people don't seem to think that they have a say. They bought a product and now it's broken. And what do I do with a broken product? Mm -hmm. um, it's an unfortunate reality. Like I want to say, hey, my product is super durable. It will never break. Um, I can proudly say my product breaks less than 1% of the time. That's great. Uh, that's, that's, that's considered extremely durable. But if you say that to a consumer, they go, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't want to be that one in a hundred that the product breaks for, but it does happen. And we have to 
think about that and be have an honest conversation between us all about what that means and, and how we can make sure that that doesn't have an outsized effect. When you look at the environment in general, obviously, you know, you have a lot of goals for what you want to do in the future. You know the changes you want to see in the environment. When you look at the future of the environment as a whole and the growth of the use of sustainable products, what does that look like for you? It looks like ubiquitous and completely a non-issue. We talk about it a lot because we're at the dawn of this era, right. but I don't think that plastics as we know them, this is my little corner of the of, of the world, uh, are going to be here for, I mean, the ones that we made are unfortunately going to be here forever, uh, but I don't think the making new stuff is going to be forever for one reason or another. It may just because it's trends or the raw materials will start uh, becoming too expensive. They're not renewable, which by just the nature of that word means that they will not be here forever. You won't be able to, to keep cycling through them forever. Um, so in a way, I see it as it's going to happen. And the real question is just who's doing it? Somebody has to do it. And whether you we can all sit around and say somebody else is going to do it, which will eventually somebody will do it, uh, or we just get up and do it ourselves, which is kind of where I'm coming from. So you've talked a little bit about like the notion of trends when it comes to sustainability. How and we talked about voting with your dollar and all like how that's all connected together, but can you just maybe touch on a little bit more about how how trends that you know we're seeing as consumers get reflected to a company? Obviously, like these companies are going to try to follow trends, but what does that process kind of look like? I could speak um, for us and maybe a little bit for others, but mainly for us, the it's it's reacting to um, either hard data, mm-hmm. which is excellent if you have it and excellent if you know how to look at it and spend the time looking at it. As in, we sold more of this than that, we should mm-hmm. do more of, of this. Um, or, you know, this got a great reaction, nobody cares about that. Should also, <laughs> should also uh, kind of point you in the right direction. Right. But there is an outsized amount of trend forecasting that has to do with hearsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's super unscientific, or at least it's a little, there's a little voodoo in there for sure. Uh, but that's mostly how we process the world, I think, in general. Uh, we If we hear something six or seven times, then it's now part of our psyche and that's that. Um, so the conversation has a really, the conversation as in like the overall conversation the zeitgeist, if you will, uh, has a huge impact on what, not even like what the data is, but what even makes you look at the data in the first place. You know, if you keep on hearing, if you're sitting in a large corporation and you hear sustainability, 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 sustainability all day, you go into the office and you say to yourself, okay, so this sustainability thing is a thing. I'm going to start finding data to support the notion that in my head, it's a thing. Uh, it's just the unfortunate reality of how I see people operating, but that basically means that a small amount of voices can actually have a huge amount of impact on the general thinking of what's going on in the world. And I think we see that we, you know, when I started getting to sustainability, which was like, oh, three or so, um, it just wasn't a conversation. Like the conversation was very minor. 
it was um, it was a cool thing. It was much more of an emotional appeal, like a moral appeal. And I feel like mm-hmm. people still have a moral appeal. We were talking very, we were talking a lot about you know the melting of the ice caps, you know, pictures of polar bears, things like that. It was a hyper emotional appeal. Unfortunately, that did not. It started the conversation, but it did not have as much impact as we mm-hmm. wanted it to have. Um, now the conversation is not only just an emotional appeal and being on the right side of history, which is a huge part of what drives a lot of companies to do things. I think it drives them to do not fully the right thing because it's, it enables like success from signaling instead of success from doing. Um, so you have the emotional appeal that's still continuing, but now you also have this appeal of like a direct, you know, dirty dollars appeal which is saying like if we go this way people will purchase the product that we made this way mm-hmm. because people are making different choices than they were uh generationally and it's not even generationally like i our, our demographics i thought when we started our demographics were going to skew very young that's not true at all people from all walks of life people from you know every age group are internalizing the dialogue about sustainability and are taking that onto themselves um, and are making decisions based on that. So how do you feel then these companies are looking at the trends and how does greenwashing then come into play with all this? Obviously, we have companies that are looking at the trends and they are truly doing their best. They're putting their best foot forward with all of it. But then you have companies that are kind of taking this and spinning it a little bit just for their own profit. I think that, uh, first of all, um, you Greenwashing, while it's a problem, I don't think it's as big of a problem as people make it out to be, because I can tell you from my personal experience, sustainability is not as directly profitable as one would hope. Um, There's still so much to convince. Mm -hmm. There's so much education that still has to go into it. And that education and that it takes time and time is expensive. I think that the people who are behind those to, to get even a minor step either a step change or like a short term like we're just doing this thing to be more sustainable for april you know um the amount of effort that takes inside of a large company to even accomplish that goal is so monumental that those that it's it's awful when people point it out as greenwashing because that person inside that company you know spent months convincing pushing buttons trying absolutely everything to get that done and then because this it's a it's a large corporation and they will do this effort for april and then they'll be done with this effort it's kind of completely un um unappreciated it goes unappreciated right uh so we do have to worry about uh the term greenwashing is most useful when you're trying to push a company to do more mm-hmm. not denigrate a company for doing something they've already done right um yeah. I do push back against the idea that they that some that there's a lot of profit in it because I think that those players that that existed pretty heavily maybe six seven years ago, those players dropped out because they saw that it wasn't very profitable and there was still a lot more time more time to go before the prices for things came down and things became more profitable. You could do them in mass and they, those companies are interested in mass scale. Mm-hmm. They can't operate on small scale. You know they have to be like at Target or at Walmart to make any impact on their bottom line. And their sustainability efforts weren't helping them in those particular cases. So they kind of dumped them really quickly. 
now we have this generation too. Um, and frankly, I think it's also because it's being led by people who grew up in the sustainability conversation mm-hmm. um, that they um, these are really trying hard and sacrificing a lot to try and make something better. Now, the the big issue in general with sustainability is like what is sustainable and like where do you want to pull that lever to? Um, some things, you know, the deeper you look into something, the more you find out it's dirty secrets and the things that are not sustainable about it. But on the overall, is it better than what you're doing today? And if that's the case, then you should be engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we don't give each other, whether it's person to person or person to company. Um, we don't give each other that leeway of understanding that this is an evolution. And when we reward the evolution, even if it's not 100%, we get to the 100%. If we reward the evolution, if we, if they did 2% better and we're like, it's only 2% better, then the message we're sending is that 2% is not good enough. And if only 2% is what you could do, then you shouldn't do anything. Right. And I see that over and over and over again, like seeking perfection. And... Um, the companies that seek perfection, not only people, there's also companies that seek heavy mm-hmm. perfection and they won't engage until it's perfect. Mm-hmm. The companies that seek perfection will fall behind. It's just simply because right. by the time we get to the point where there is a perfect product, there'll be somebody that's doing it way better than you are. Uh, and, you know, our commitment, whenever I say we are not, you know, bamboozle is, is not the perfect thing yet the commitment has to come with the tail end of saying we will always work to make it more perfect in any way that we can in this particular time period. Um, you know, during the pandemic, development of new product was almost impossible. It was right. very, very difficult, but could we improve on shipping? Yeah, of course. Could we improve on the returns process and how many returns and how many people throw away the product? Yeah. Packaging probably, you know, these are things that still can be done, even though the big stuff, the hard stuff is not possible. And then we hit a plateau with the material science, for example, and we can see things that are down the line, mm-hmm. but we know that it's going to take time to prove them, build a factory to make it, then finally be able to sell us this stuff. This could be five, 10 years down the line, but we have to find something to continually improve uh, and not make the excuse of saying 10 years from now, bamboozle is going to be the perfect thing. It will be. But it will be because we make two to five percent incremental improvements every year instead of um, just waiting, you know, twiddling our thumbs, saying the product as it is is pretty it's pretty good. Um, let's make this for the next sixty years. Uh, that, that's uh, it, it works. Like it's a very profitable way to do business, but right. it's not it's not our commitment. So basically, what the conclusion you're coming to is us as consumers, you know, we just need to expect that these companies are doing their best in the current moment. And the way to kind of keep our climate anxiety at bay and things like that is just to expect the best, not but not expect perfect is kind of what I'm thinking here. Yeah. And and, and uh, I definitely do not want to say that all companies are doing their best. Right, right. Uh, that's definitely not happening. Uh, but I will say that a lot of them are. And uh, those who are engaged, especially, you know, with their own health um, and with um, sustainability, you know, if this is who you are, if this is what you want to be, then my suggestion is 
take the time to read, to make decisions. You know, not everything is going to be perfect for you. But if you get a good lay of the land and see that perfection is not, doesn't exist yet, then you could pick the best options out of the options that exist. Yes. And that, that's who you should be standing for, essentially. Uh, but up until then, um, if you're sitting around saying, well, this isn't perfect enough, this isn't perfect enough, then you're going to keep on searching for that thing that doesn't exist yet. And 10 years from now, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you'll continue buying all the stuff that's 100% bad which makes no sense. That's a great way to look at it. And I think that's something that I've definitely been trying to bring into my life also is like, even if you're making changes that maybe aren't 100% perfect now, hopefully they will be down the road. So what are your favorite tips to being more sustainable? Like what's the one thing you would tell somebody? Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, maybe it's a cop out because we make a compost bin, but (laughs) I think think composting is a great way to get into it. First of all, it's a great habit. Right. Uh, it also kind of forces you to cook for yourself a little bit because that's how you get to compost, um, which is great for great for your health in general to just take control of your own your own heating habits. Um, and on top of it all, it can be fun. It can be very rewarding to see, like, look at this is this is how much you know compost um, I've made this this week this month. Uh, you can use it. There's so many ways outlets to use compost at this point. You can, you know, make your own compost in your backyard. Um, We're hoping to figure out ways to promote composting, even if it's in like your, if you only have a uh, balcony. Mm -hmm. Um, We're working on some things that could be interesting in that that aspect. Um, And then finally, you know, if you live in cities that have either a private uh, community composter or a public one, you can engage with them and send them the scraps, which, Kind of then the, that earth either goes to pay their bills or to beautify the city that you live in. Uh, these are all, you know, this is really kind of engaging with the community through your trash, which yes. is a fun way to think about it. Yeah, that's how I started composting when I moved out to my my current place. And I just felt it got me so involved with my community because I'm bringing it to the farmer's market every Saturday. I'm talking to all these people and it's just a really great way to get involved. I agree. Yeah, we had this instance where... Um, you know, we're sitting here, you know, kind of half locked down. It's, it's like the end tail of the pandemic. And there is a, we got an article that somebody wrote about the composter and about how people are taking their composters, these R's and walking them to the comp, to the, uh, farmer's market. Uh, this was in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and like how the, um, the author of this article saw other people like carrying them like coach bags to the, to the thing. And I was like, we're sitting here in North Carolina and there's like a cultural moment going on in Brooklyn and we have no idea that this is happening. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. It was one of those surreal moments in branding, I, I call it. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for just sharing like all of your knowledge with me today and with everybody listening. I feel like I've had other people on talking about sustainability, I've talked about it on my own end, but I've never had somebody on from, you know, the brand side, the manufacturing side of it. And I just really appreciated hearing your perspective on everything. So I would just love if you could let everybody listening know like where they can buy bamboozle products, where they can follow all that kind of stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's been absolutely wonderful. And thanks for listening to all my, uh, long yabbering. Uh, You can buy the products on bamboozlehome.com and you can see all of our content and such on uh, uh, Bamboozle Housewares, 
which is both in Instagram and TikTok. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I again, really appreciated it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Dear Citrus Diaries podcast. If you want to connect with me and connect with the community, you can follow along on Instagram at Citrus Diaries with three S's and on TikTok at Citrus Diaries. Also, be sure to check out my website, which is citrusdiaries.com. You can find so many resources and things when it comes to wellness and food. I have tons of recipes on there and my own personal wellness diary, which you can look at for a little more inside scoop on everything that's going on. Also, make sure to join our club on Geneva, Well by CD, to, you know, just join a big group chat of wellness lovers. And if you have any questions, always email me at hello at citrusdiaries.com or DM me on Instagram. And if you think one of your friends would enjoy this convo, please make sure to send it to them and leave a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you on the next episode.